Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we pray that we might know what is within your heart as a Heavenly Father. That we might be able to grasp the intentions that you have and have had from the very beginning of time, even before creating us. Lord, the design, the, the purpose, and Lord, then the passion that goes into this relationship that we have with you. For it is one, Lord, not from a distance, but one, Lord, that we hold up close. So I pray that you would give us more reason, even today as we open your word, to, to know how it is that you love us and what it is for that your love works in us and that, Lord, in knowing all these things, we might honor you and give ourselves to you with a greater passion, equal that to yours. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I have a confession to make this morning. Every once in a while when I'm surfing the tube and you know, watching TV, I'll come across those makeover shows. Have you ever seen those? Uh, the extreme makeover, you know, makeover or the home edition, uh, what not to wear. Uh, help me out. I'm sure you've watched them too from time to time. I saw the host of one of those shows. <clears throat> I can't remember which one it was, but he was being interviewed and he was asked, why do you do what you do? And I found his answer to be quite revealing. He says, when I see a mess like I often do, I just have to say something. And since I'm right, I might as well get paid for it. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I heard that, I thought, I, I actually had two reactions. The first part of me said, now that is ego. Just who does he think he is? But another part of me said, Lyle, pay attention. Uh, you might learn something because, in fact, when I see myself in the mirror, in all honesty, I need some help. <laughs> and, and it would do well to listen. Now, that image was fresh in my mind this week as we turn back to Psalm 23, and I'm going to encourage you to turn there with me again to Psalm 23. Because in verses 2 and 3, that is, there we find that we all, like sheep, are under the care of a shepherd who really does know exactly who he is and, and, and who really does know exactly what is best for us and who is really able then to exactly change our life. Now, if you have your Bible, would you turn there with me? In, in Psalm 23, verse 1, we read, The Lord is our shepherd. We read that last week. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. In verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now let me tie together a, a, a phrase from verse 3 that makes all the difference in everything else in these two verses. It's a phrase that answers one of the most important questions you will ever ask. The question being, what does God want to do in my life? What does the one who actually created me mean to do with me and why? And you'll find that on your sermon outline. Here's the phrase. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Now, now please, pay close attention to those words. 
There, there are a lot of things going on in the two verses, but it's only at the end of verse 3 that he explains his motives. He, he, he leads me, he guides me, he stops me, he restores my soul. Why? Why does he do all these things? He does it for his name's sake. Do you know what that means? What that means is that there is something about our relationship with him that, that he takes personally. When he looks at you and when he looks at me, his name is at stake. Maybe it goes back to the book of Genesis where he breathed in us the breath of life. Uh, maybe it goes to that place where he created us in his image, where we were invested with a soul that would reflect his image back to himself like a mirror. There is something about us that moves him to make everything that he does with us something personal, whether making us lie down, leading us beside still waters, guiding us in righteous paths. He has a personal mission to restore our soul because he created us as a heavenly father. He restored our soul, restores our soul for his name's sake. Now, several weeks ago, I, we looked at the book of Leviticus. You may remember that, and you may remember that the theme of that book revolved around the holiness of God. Now, a lot of people avoid that book of Leviticus because it's filled with all sorts of lifestyle details about what to eat, uh, what to wear, how to behave. What we may not realize is that beneath all of the details, there is a holy God who has a passion for holiness and is eager then to pour out that sort of wholeness that goes into holiness into our lives. You may remember that, especially as the theme of God's mission is being expressed, we are to be holy even as our Heavenly Father is holy. That's the passion of God, to enact such an extreme makeover, to restore our soul, to make us holy even as He is holy. You see, there is in his nature a passion to fill and to complete and to round out and to restore you and me, each one of us, as his children in order to become the the person he meant us to be. In the the last few weeks, I I get an inkling of of that sort of parental passion. You may have noticed um, just watching TV that we're getting real close to the Olympic Games just in a matter of a couple of weeks. And you may have noticed that they're generating interest by showing profiles, personal profiles, of the athletes on the TV. Now, in a lot of the profiles, you'll see a lot of parental pride on display. And that thought struck me as I was watching the women's shot put competition at the U.S. Olympic uh, track meet. I got a lot of time on my hands uh, watching the women's shot put championship. Now, the, women, the winner of that event was a very, uh, <clears throat> how should I say it, formidable, powerfully built woman named Michelle Carter. Keep an eye on her. She's favored for the gold. What really caught my attention during the competition wasn't her size or her strength, but her coach. During the competition, I noticed him standing outside the circle with a look on his face of complete and utter focus. She was all he could see. And even his body turned and moved as she she did her 
her thing. She spun around and then she pumped that iron like a cannonball down the field and won the event. And after each throw, you could, you could see in his face the, the, the pride and the joy that he took in her achievement. It was only after she had won the competition they showed the profile clip of her life, which revealed that her coach was in reality her father, Michael Carter, himself a remarkable athlete as well. 27 years ago, he became the only man to capture an Olympic medal, a silver medal, in the shot put in, in, in the Tokyo Olympics, I believe, and then five months later followed it up with a Super Bowl ring playing football with the San Francisco 49ers. Eight years ago, his, his daughter decided to follow in his footsteps. She turned to him and she asked him to be her coach. And I love what she said about the relationship. She says, for me to beat him, I have got to get the gold because I can't do anything about the Super Bowl ring. (laughs) But I know he can get me onto the podium in Rio. And so he's my coach. And her father, Michael, well, he's just hoping his daughter can add to the family hardware, whatever the color it is. And the reporter in the profile raised a question. He said, what has made him the most anxious competing in the 1984, I'm sorry, it was the Los Angeles Games, or achieving the three Super Bowl victories that he wears as rings on his fingers, or watching his daughter compete? More nerve-wracking, he said? No question about it. Watching my daughter. There's nothing I can do after she goes on the field because it's all up to her. She's out there competing, but I am there with her, and I like to feel I'm in her heart and soul. Now that is the heart of a father. And in Psalm 23, we hear the heart of our Heavenly Father. There is in His nature a passion to fill and to complete and to round out and to restore us. Why? Because we are his children and we carry his name. It is because of his namesake that he takes the initiative to restore our soul for his namesake. Talk about making an extreme makeover personal. When you carry his name for the sake of his name, whatever happens in you becomes personal to him. Isn't that great when you think of it? And in verses 2 and 3, we read exactly how he intends to do this restoration project. Three things that he does to restore us. First, he, he uh, he makes us, he leads us, and he guides us. The first one on the outline is that he stops me. He stops me. Now, look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, to say that he stops me may sound a little harsh, it may sound like he's standing like, like an RCMP officer at a roadblock, you know, raising his hand, saying, halt, you in a heap of trouble, stop, I got a ticket for you. It, it, that may sound a little more harsh, but, but here it's a little more gentle than that. After all, he's a shepherd, but he still is the one who takes the initiative to bring you and me to a place where together we can get, get on with the business of life. Now, I don't know that much about sheep. But I've heard shepherds talk. One of them, Philip Keller, in his book, a Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, he says that sheep are a little like people. They don't know how to rest. 
Sometimes they just wander and find themselves surrounded by scrub brush and have no idea how they got there. Sometimes they jump at the slightest sound, or the bark of a dog, the shout of a child. And the way Keller describes it, it sounds like they have attention deficit disorder or hyperactive adrenaline syndrome or something that drives them to, to wander with perpetual motion into danger, and maybe they are not so much unlike us. So the shepherd often has to force them to rest, make them to lie down in a place where they will find health and healing and nourishment that they so desperately need. Now, we're not sheep, but God is still determined to get in our way for a reason. Now, some of you may have seen the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. Raise your hands if you have. Raise your hands if you don't watch movies and you've just been offended by my mentioning a movie. <laughs> okay, well, uh, the movie Bruce Almighty with, with, with Jim Carrey. Not, <laughs> talk about a character with adrenaline hyperactive syndrome. Um, <clears throat> the, the movie actually, it, it, be, it, began, it begins at a point where his life is falling apart. And it's as if all of the balls he has been juggling in life are, 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 are collapsing all around him. And during an argument... He, he, just, he blurts it out. He says, God is ignoring me. That, that's his line. But the truth is, he is the one who has been ignoring God. And, and as he storms away, he sarcastically asks God for a sign. Give me a sign. I wish I had the clip to show you. Um, but as he drives away, uh, in his headlights of this car, signs keep flashing by, and they say, caution ahead, wrong way, stop, yield, uh, dead end. <laughs> God, give me a sign. Well, you know, the signs are flashing. The signs are all there, but he ignores every single one of them until ultimately he crashes into a light pole. The next morning, he awakens to the sound of his pager. Do you remember what pagers are? Pager, a pager going off. And no matter how he keeps ignoring it, he keeps getting a page. It keeps going off. Even when he throws the page, pager out into the street, it gets run over by a car, and it keeps on ringing, even though it's busted. Uh, and that, finally, is the thing that gets his attention. And it turns out that God is calling him all along the way, even though it took a while. Finally, God got him to stop and to listen. Just a little side note, of course. Uh, this is a little trivia for you. The telephone number on the pager for every single one of those calls is 776-2323. Now, if you have a cell phone with you, you might want to check it out and say, hey, I got God's number, 776-2323. Now, for the sake of trivia, the, the, the maker of the movie actually put that number there on purpose. Because if you do have a cell phone, I, you, I, you have my permission just to open it up for now, just for a moment. Don't turn it on. Just open it up and look at it. Uh, you, you will see that the, the, the maker of the movie had put that number there on a purpose. And if you check the first three numbers, 776, you'll see that they include the letters PSM, Psalm. And then the last four, what are they? 2323. Two, Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. It was intentionally put there to, 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 to get our attention about the way, in fact, God does, in fact, stop us to speak to us. 
God does take that initiative. And, 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 and then, so much so that in the stillness, he can pour ourselves into our lives. I have to stop. Just thinking in the backdrop of that movie clip there, think, what would it take for God to get your attention? How many signs have to fly by before you finally stop and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love the picture in that verse. The way that the verse reads, literally, it refers to waters that have, in fact, been made still. That's the tense of the verb. Waters that have been made still. You see, sheep are instinctively frightened of running water for any number of reasons. It may be the fear of being swept into the stream, kind of a vertigo type of thing, where the movement in the water as they're trying to drink will, will somehow cause them to tip over and, and, and fall in and then being dragged in, given their wool, the thickness of their coats, they'll be dragged under and then drown. Or I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the motion of the water that makes them think that a predator is near or that something has caused the water to move and that they're in danger of attack. But whatever it is, no matter how thirsty they are, if the water is running, they aren't drinking. And so the shepherd has to step in. And, 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 and what he would do would loosen a few large stones and then dam up a portion of the stream that will cause the water to pool into a place where it would then become still and then the sheep could drink. And then he steps over to the sheep and he leads them. It's a a wonderful word that literally describes a leisurely pace, a calm step, something that 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 is paced quite well, and he brings them to the place where they can drink. Still waters. Again, God takes the initiative to pour into our lives his own spirit of refreshment and renewal. And let's be honest, the type of refreshment that you need will not be found in this world. It is not bottled and sold over counters. There is something that you cannot find in this life when you are living on your own. That's the image is brought out in John chapter 4 where Jesus tells the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water, the water of this world, will become thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him, that water that comes from my pool, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become within him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's no wonder that at this point, David writes, in the process of this refreshment, he restores my soul. That's God's passion. He does all these things to make you, to fill you out, to restore you into the man or the woman that he meant you to be from the beginning of time. But even more, he makes a commitment to stay with it. Earlier, I confessed to watching extreme makeover shows. I've often wondered what happens to those people on the shows a year later when the master craftsman is no longer around to uh, (laughs) criticize their appearance. They leave. How long does it take for the change to be lost? How long is it before they get back to the old patterns and the habits? David writes one more step to describe how God pursues his passionate work. It's not, okay, he gives me a guidebook. He he doesn't point in a direction and say, good luck along the way. It says here, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. 
And the picture here is of a steady presence, a partnership in motion. The verse literally reads this way, He guides me in the right tracts. Shepherds are masters at reading all of the marks, the the, the, the trail guides, the the paths, the scratches that go across the, the rugged terrain. To an untrained eye, the eye of a sheep, all of those things appear to be the same. But, but the shepherd knows which one of those paths leads to destruction or danger or death and which one is the right path. The application is obvious. Those in the shepherd's care find a sense of purpose and meaning and substance in, in their lives every day. <clears throat> we read of that in, in, in Ephesians in chapter 1, that that, that, that is our, our destination, our orientation, and our purpose. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul writes that even though outwardly we may be wasting away inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. How? By the Spirit of God. Isaiah says that those in Lord's care, whose hope is in the Lord, find their strength being renewed daily so that they are able to soar on wings like eagles. They run and they do not grow weary. They walk and they do not fade. Those who are guided in the steps of of righteousness, the right path. I wasn't quite sure how to bring this message to a close, but when I think of that, I, I have to ask the question, is it worth it to have lived a life walking under the guidance of a good shepherd? Is it worth it? I was talking with a friend. My, my, my parents, um, <clears throat> they live in a retirement community. Uh, my mom lives in a retirement community in Sun City, West Arizona. You have to be 55 or older to live there. <laughs> 26 years ago when they moved there, I felt a little bit out of place. Now whenever I go to visit her, I think to myself, hey, I could live here. This is pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> there's, it's, it's all senior citizens. And I was talking with a pastor of their church, and I asked, what's the hardest part of your ministry? And he said, well, there are some of the homes where I visit where the people suffer from Alzheimer's, from TIA, dementia, from mental deterioration, he said. And when I go to the nursing homes, I try to bring some word of hope, uh, some measure of peace, and sometimes that's, that's very, very hard. I thought to myself, boy, that, is, that would be really tough. He stopped me and he said, but you know, it's odd. <clears throat> One time I discovered that it was in fact a blessing to have such a visit. He says, I was at, at a home, a nursing home, I was leading a service, the people were sitting around me in a circle. Most of them were silent, like usual. I didn't know they, if, if they even knew that I was there. Some of them were staring off into space. And so <clears throat> my message for the day was the 23rd Psalm. And wouldn't you know it, right at the moment that I began to read, I had my own mental lapse. I had my own particular moment and so I, I, I didn't have my Bible with me, so I had to rely upon my memory. And I started off by reading, the, by, by saying, the Lord is my, and then nothing. I completely blanked. I couldn't remember the word. So I, I started again, uh, uh, the Lord is my, and then I heard a voice in the group quietly say, shepherd. I repeated myself, the Lord is my And a few more voices added into it and began to respond, shepherd. He said it was remarkable. 
And I thought I would go ahead and do the psalm that way. He said, I shall not. And more voices then came in. Want. He makes me lie down. And I could see, he said, something in their eyes that I hadn't seen before. A light. And then more voices added in. In green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. By this time, all of them were speaking, especially when they came to the phrase, the shadow of death. It struck his heart. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Having read that psalm, he looked and he saw a light in their eyes that he had not seen in a long, long time. And then as they worshiped, a few actually were able to sing. And he realized in that moment that the shepherd was with his sheep and had been guiding them all along the way and was there restoring their soul even at that moment. There, is, there, there, there should be no surprise for those who walk in the care of a shepherd who really does know what is best and who is really able to go to work in life and change things and restore the soul and then make the promise Lo, I am with you always, doing all these things, even until the end of the age. Now, for some here, this may be a moment where you finally realize that God has, in fact, been working very hard to get your attention. And it may be time for you now to be able to put the brakes on before you hit the light pole and allow him to make you lie down and then trust yourself into his care. For some of you, it may be a time to let the Lord enter the chaos and the currents of your life and and, and block it up, put a a dam so that there might be a, a bit of stillness for you so that you can actually dip in and find in, in the Lord a source of refreshment by, by, by enjoying that stillness. But for whatever it is, I think it's time for all of us to be able to say, Lord, Lord, you are my shepherd, and I am in your care. As we come to the end of the service, you will have the 23rd Psalm in a version that may be a little bit unfamiliar to you, but it's in your bulletin, and I'm going to ask you to join with me and speak that psalm, making it personal even as you do. You have it? Let's do it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And gracious Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. A prayer of commitment, of obedience, a prayer of anticipation and hope. A prayer, Lord, by which all things now are restored. We thank you for this prayer in Jesus' name. And in his sake we pray. Amen.